0: This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the batmanuniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat Family at the batmanuniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on patreon even one dollar can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy look for a link over at the batmanuniverse.net to offer your support now and now on with the show
1: we've done this dance for so long like the view it's the only thing you'll catch tonight Batman your new boy toy? I have one too. None of this is my fault.
0: He made me control Superman. What's his name? He calls himself Hush. The events of the past months reach as high as Superman and as low as the Joker. All were set into by hush <laughs> is it too much to ask for one quiet weekend it's like they're all crawling out from under the carpets now <laughs> hush knows me. he's been one step ahead of me the whole time
1: tick tock trails going
0: cold This just gets better and better. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Bat Fans. Yes, we're still here. We are on episode one eighty three. My name is Tim, and I'll be your host for this episode. But joining me, as always, is Dane. Dane, how's it going?
1: Hey, Tim. Um, so it's
0: the the middle of the
1: baseball season, right? I would say a little
0: further than middle. We're oh, sorry, we're yeah. at the end actually.
1: We just got about yeah, a month yeah. and a half to go until the playoffs. But I just want to let you know that i have read uh the book uh moneyball right oh you did yeah uh, have you
0: seen the movie um,
1: yeah uh not in a long time oh but uh i've read the book and um it's a little it's a little weird because i i i think i got this right but let me just r- run this by you real fast okay 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 so Billy Bean was drafted by the the Mets, right? Okay. In 1980, I think.
0: I think. I yeah, hope I I'm not got not sure right? when I, uh, But anyway, yeah, right. I actually forgot he was drafted by the Mets. <laughs> he yeah, yeah. Okay. So Him went. Only with Oakland, but. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, he he could have went to Stanford. He chose to um, go to the Mets. His signing bonus, uh, he decided to invest it through his parents into a real estate thing. It went bust. He lost his, uh, well, that's, that sucks. his uh, signing bonus. Uh, but anyway, so uh, the 1986 World Series comes around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mets versus the Red Sox, right?
0: Classic series.
1: Yeah, so the outfield was supposed to be Daryl Strawberry, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Who was the number one overall pick that the Mets took in 1980, same year that uh, Billy Bean.
0: And was actually, Daryl Strawberry was my favorite baseball player growing up. When I first started getting into baseball, he was my favorite. Me I too. Loved his stance, his swing. Yeah. That's how I started. When he, first, when he signed with the Dodgers, I should say that's when I really started getting into baseball. He became my favorite player, even though he was. Wasn't at the same level when he was on the Dodgers as he was with the (laughs) Nets, which was disappointing.
1: Yeah, right. So, so Daryl Strawberry was supposed to be in right. Um, he when they were both drafted, Billy Bean and Daryl Strawberry were drafted. uh, Strawberry was 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 sent down to the rookie ball, while Billy Bean was sent to um, sent with the college players to play with the college players because they thought he was more mature than he was. But as we all know, that didn't work out. Uh, So it took him a little longer to get to the major leagues, right? So it was supposed to be Daryl Strawberry in right, Lenny Dykstra in center, and Billy Bean in left field, right? Mm -hmm. So who... Whose spot would he have taken, Tim?
0: Trying to think, who was the Mets' other outfielder that year? Hmm. And was there Who was their outfielder that? It's super obvious, Tim. <laughs> uh, let's see, why am I drawing a blank? Is it? Yeah. Uh, was it uh the guy who got the hit off Buckner? Yeah, Mookie Wilson. Uh, Mookie Wilson, that's who it is, okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: right. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so if, if Billy Bean had been a good baseball player, the 1986 Red Sox would have won that World Series.
0: <laughs> but I don't know. We think if Billy Bean was a better baseball player, he would have gotten a hit in that spot instead of a weak round ball that Buckner booted. <laughs> I, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Now, technically, so, if he was still in the organization during that time, he should still get a ring, I would think, even though he wasn't on the team necessarily. I'm not no, sure he, how it would work back then, but I think nowadays most players like in an organization get some type of ring.
1: Yeah, he, he wasn't on the team during the 1986 World Series, uh, or the
0: 1986 uh, season. I mean, maybe uh, it's just only when anyone who's on the 40-man roster gets one. I'm not sure. but uh, I, Yeah, because now that I think about it, I don't think minor league players get baseball rings unless they get called up and contributed a little bit for the season. But You know what? I'm curious a (laughs) lot. Because I don't know if a team would want to spend that much as far as getting rings for everybody Uh, in their system. Okay,
1: so here's what happened. In 1985, he was traded to the Twins. Oh,
0: okay. So he wasn't even with them.
1: (laughs) He wasn't even on the team. (laughs) Yeah, from 86 to 87, he was with the Twins. 88, he was with the well, with the Tigers and the then, Twins
0: won in eighty seven, though.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't mean you get a ring. I don't think he was on the team. No, he still wasn't yeah. on the team. <laughs> <laughs> I forget.
0: Did he make it to the major leagues at all?
1: Yeah, okay, uh, with, with the Twins and the Tigers, um, and Spotty with the with the A's, and I think he may, I think he even played with the with the Mets. Okay, uh, he had a brief call up. Yeah, just like a brief two three game call up and then oh we're going back down <laughs>
0: <laughs> but hey props to him for not making it as a baseball player but making a really well you know career at the gm <laughs> for the yeah. whole money. even though he still hasn't won he's done, made some significant contributions to the game of baseball i mean for better or for worse for whether you feel about the whole money ball and analytics and all that stuff but
1: yeah so uh billy being extended and in, in a way, Tim, he extended the the curse of the Bean yeah. <laughs> for a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. yeah until two thousand two. I was going to say, Marvel where was series. he in two thousand four? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, that, that's that's uh, that's what I got from
0: that. Well, that's an interesting fact I never knew about Billy Bean. And when you think yeah. about it, I mean, who knows how things would have played out if he was with the eighty six meds. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the, um, I forget the name of the author. Uh, Michael Lewis was saying, that, or Billy Bean was saying, that he's always been around greatness, which is like the, the the team that became the 1986 Mets, the the Minnesota Twins that won the World Series, um, and the, the A's that won the World Series. Mm-hmm. So
0: <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> so that, that's... that. Story what's in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that would have added a little something extra to it. But there you go. There's your Billy Bean update for this episode. Yeah. Yeah, the, the,
1: the things you learn about Billy Bean. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're not doing a Moneyball Minute by Minute commentary. Maybe oh, we'll put right, that sure. one on the list <laughs> somewhere down the line. But
1: the, the, or- that, that's, that's like the weirdest movie because they, what, I, I, I don't think that movie could be made now. With with Avengers and Marvel and Disney and Star Wars, it's like, do you, well, let's make a movie about a baseball team. Okay, so so we're making it about the Yankees then, right? Because the Yankees won all these World Series and blah blah blah. blah. They have this, you know, this great franchise. It's like, no, 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 we're 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 going to make a movie about the the Oakland Athletics. It's like, okay, um in two thousand two, did they win the World Series? Uh, n- no they yeah. didn't win the world series
0: <laughs> they, they had that great winning streak though <laughs>
1: did they make it to the ALCS? no they they didn't <laughs> uh, did they make it to the ALDS? well yeah they did but they got swept
0: <laughs> they got swept that series i don't remember that yeah i know they lost to the twins but i forgot if they got i didn't realize if they got swept or not <laughs> yeah so the highlight yeah. was that 20 game win streak that pretty yeah. much didn't mean anything in the end that's <laughs> yeah, like the, the,
1: there's no big players. There's no you know, legendary players. I don't know if you want to call him David Justice as a legendary player. But,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you had uh, Chris Pratt in the movie playing, how, what was that player's name? Atterberg. Atterberg. <laughs> <laughs> So though there's, there's a comic book movie connection there. But yeah, hey, a baseball movie always would have its audience, even with the midst of Star Wars and Avengers movies and all that stuff. So there'd be an audience for it, I think, if it came out today still.
1: Well, plus two, you got Brad Pitt in it. so
0: Yeah, that doesn't hurt for having yeah. star power <laughs> attached to it as well. <laughs> but anyway, and not our Moneyball minute-by-minute commentary, <laughs> but our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentary is up next. And we are going to be going from The one hour, or I should say the 131st minute to the 132nd minute or the two hour and 11 minute mark to the two hour and 12 minute mark. And we're getting into the big climactic action sequence of the movie. So it's going to be pretty much straight up nonstop action, I think, for a good portion of these next few episodes. So to see all this great action, you know, you got to get the best media formats as possible to watch it. So grab your VHS tape, your Betamax tape. Your laser disc, your DVD, your HD DVD, your V C D, your film projector, your blockbuster video membership card, your Netflix physical media disc, and the greatest of all, your DVD to or I should say your VHS to DVD converter device that you use on your PC. It's the best way to watch this stuff. So <laughs> this is why Chris Nolan filmed this end sequence on IMAX, so you can watch <laughs> it on your VHS to DVD converter. <laughs> So, if you got that ready to go, I'll give the countdown. Are you ready, Dane? I
1: think we should also put in a uh, novelization. I don't know if the, <laughs> <Dark Man laughs> Rises that's
0: not really a dead media format, novel. though. There's still yeah. The I wanted to read novelizations it, right? on the
1: Star Wars movies. Yeah, but would you read one on? I don't know. Uh, Moneyball. <laughs> Moneyball. <laughs> would you read? You obviously Moneyball. did. <laughs> it's a great book. It's a great baseball book. <laughs> not if you're a scout. Not if you're a baseball scout. But <laughs> It's uh, a great...
0: So, I guess for this one I'll throw a novelization then. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I am ready to give the countdown.
0: Uh, three, two, one, play. As Bane's, as the tumblers get ready to scare off the police force ready to make their stand.
1: Yeah, I said this last commentary, but why is Foley in as, like, full dress, like... <laughs>
0: I think, to inspire the police officers there.
1: Yeah, but nobody else is wearing it. <laughs> well, just got out of the nice, sewer, so... <laughs> dressing too nice to a party. <laughs> Can't really
0: blame them. I do like this action sequence, though. I mean, yeah. you see how, you know, the police know what they got to do to take the city back, but they're a little timid there, not necessarily super charged up and ready for battle, but once that Tumblr fires off that warning shot that we see right here i hope we get it to in these next 13 seconds here as we see bane issues a firing order i don't think we're gonna make it dane so i might have to say my comments on the next episode oh. <laughs> oh, there it is the bat came <laughs> <laughs> and i love how it just rallies the police officers there they give their cheers and they just start running so we'll get more into that in our next episode but i just love how the bat just flies in there at the last minute before the tumbler fires at the police officers and it's just the rallying cry that the police officers need for this yeah. upcoming battle.
1: It's the perfect Hollywood um, unexpected moment because the the bat is super loud and <laughs> you don't hear it approaching.
0: <laughs> uh, you always gotta throw in the wrinkle the realistic aspect that takes yeah. away from the greatness <laughs> of the thing. <laughs> How dare you use logic to ruin the fun. Well,
1: I mean, I, I, I like this end fight that we're going to be seeing um, in the upcoming minute-by-minute commentaries. But I'm just wondering how, you know, like a great fight scene. I wonder how it would work
0: minute-by-minute, you know? Well, we're going to find out. (laughs) So we'll see how it stacks up when we go through it minute-by-minute in the next few episodes. But it should be fun. And with that, I guess we can go into our future topic for the episode, which is going to be a review of the latest DC animated movie, Batman Hush. And before I begin, I'm going to throw the spoiler warning out there because there's some major spoilers and events that happen in this movie that are really different from the comics. So if you don't want to find out until you see the movie. You might want to hold off on listening to this uh, review. But or unless you don't plan on watching the movie, you don't care. You just want to know what happens in it. Then by all means, continue to listen. But I will be going into full-blown spoilers. About this review for Batman Hush. And probably pretty early on too. So the spoiler warning is in effect. So you guys knew how excited just I was to get an animated adaption of Hush. And I've said this before. Hush, I don't high, hold it in as high regard as one of the greatest Batman stories ever. As I know some fans do. It's a very fun and cool Batman stories to read. I had a great time reading it. But there was some aspects of it that, you know, weren't the greatest, in my opinion. And I'll get to that in the review for the movie. But I still wanted to see an adaptation of it, because there's a lot of great moments in that comic that I think would make for a really cool animated movie. And when the reactions from the premiere at Comic-Con came out, um, it was kind of mixed because there were some big changes made to the story that um, you know, a lot of people didn't know how to feel about it. Some flat out didn't like it, and some actually thought it was a change for the better. So I was curious to see what that change was going to be and how it would affect my enjoyment of the movie. So right off the bat, I'll go ahead and say, I really, really like this movie and with the changes and all, but I can understand how someone might not like it because of the change. Cause it's a pretty big, significant change. to the, the story of hush and I'll go ahead and just start with that because it's something that will no doubt come up throughout this review. So, um, Again, spoiler warning, if you don't want to know what it is, (laughs) I might want to hold off on this part right here. But the big change to the story is that Thomas Elliot was not Hush in the movie. He's in it, but he didn't end up being the villain Hush. It ended up being the Riddler. And it actually worked really well in the movie, I thought. And I wouldn't say it was something that was a necessary change, But I understand why they did it, and over the course of telling this story through a movie, I think it worked for the better. Because one of my complaints about the Hush comic was that it was... I mean, I haven't read it in a while, so I actually went into the movie, you know... I kind of wanted to go into the movie just uh, to watch it without having just read the comic. Because even though I know the basic plots and certain moments from Hush, uh, it's probably something I would probably have to revisit to get to remember the full aspects and moments of the story. So I was going into this movie with, I don't want to say a clean slate because obviously I read the story before, but it's been a while and I knew I wasn't going to remember everything from the comics. So it was almost like seeing certain moments for the first time. And then uh, I kind of flipped through the story of the graphic novels I have a after I saw it to see you know what stuff they did adapt that I didn't necessarily remember and how accurate it was. And I think they did a pretty good job of following the flow of the basic comics of the story that was in the comic. But anyway, uh, one of my issues about the comic story was that there were so many red herrings about who was Hush. It's Harvey Dent. No, it's Jason Todd. But actually, Jason Todd was Clayface. It just kept throwing you for a loop, I felt, just for the sake of throwing you for a loop. And it kind of got a little tiring by the time we get to the end. And there was another aspect that wasn't my favorite was that the motivation of why Tommy Elliott became you know, so obsessed with hating Bruce and being so jealous of him to become uh, the villain Hush, it wasn't something I necessarily fully bought into. Even though, as the character made appearances in other stories, um, his motivations and hatred for Bruce, I felt, got expanded on and were better. But in this first story, I thought it was something that didn't necessarily work as well as it could have for me. So, with this movie making the Riddler be Hush... It just made sense because at the end of the comic story, we knew that Riddler was the one actually behind Hush in that story as well. So for the movie, it just made sense to have him, you know, just go that one step further where he didn't need Tommy Elliot. It was just his plan all along and he was acting as Hush and there's the end sequence that the fight is between Batman and Hush at the end. It is between Batman and the Riddler and it works really well and it just, from the riddler standpoint they followed the same structure where he had a brain tumor he had tommy elliott you know do the surgery but he needed the lazarus pit and the lazarus pit you know what gave him that extra strength and kind of messed with his mind a little bit and allowed him to do what he did over the events of the story in hush but he didn't need tommy elliott he just did it himself and he disguised himself as hush got you know poison ivy to do what she did got uh, in the movie Bane would replace Croc, but he got Bane to do what Bane did. So everything was done by the Riddler's design without Tom, without Tommy Elliot. And to, while Tommy Elliot was in the animated movie, it was a very small role. And I was kind of curious as I was watching it. like, man, he's not in it as much as I feel he's he should be to be the main villain, Hush. So, But it made sense when it was revealed that he actually did die in that moment where he shot in the alley where it was made to look like it was the Joker, but it wasn't. I was thinking, okay, I know where this is going. I remember this from the comic, but the fact that he stayed dead and he was just another pawn by used by the Riddler, that was a surprise. So, and the final sequence between Batman and the Riddler it was just a great some dialogue between Batman and the Riddler and how their relationship as you know it's different from you know Batman against the Joker or Batman against Bane. Batman and the Riddler, it's through intellect and with the Riddler having this physical strength, but he still wasn't a match for Batman. I just love how Batman. It reminded me of the end of Return of the Joker, the Batman Beyond movie, where Terry, you know, used talking to the Joker as a way to, you know, mess with what mess with his mind a little bit and show him how he's not really anything that great. Batman did the same thing to Riddler here, making it how he's like just a sea less villains who the Riddles aren't even that great and how he's really not even a match for Batman. So all that stuff made for a very. I felt engaging final act that was different from the comic, but one that I worked. And again, I totally get it if someone doesn't like this change because they really did like the Tommy Elliott story and how he was um, as as the villain Hush, because the movie had none of the flashback sequence with Bruce and Tommy Elliott as kids. And that was another thing I was watching that that made me think, man, they're really skimping over a big part of the comic. But again, I found out why. So for anyone who loved the Hush story because of that, because of the history between Tommy Elliott and Bruce Wayne and how he became the villain hush and what that leads to their confrontation at the end of the comic story, the fact that you didn't get that in the film, I can understand that being a disappointment for you. But since that wasn't the strongest aspect of the comic for me, I felt it was something that didn't hurt the movie at all. In some ways kind of improved upon it because we didn't have all those necessary red herrings that the comic version had. So That was the big change, and one that took me for a surprise, but in the end, I thought it worked well. But over the course of the movie, they did a great job of adapting the stuff that they did keep intact from the comic. The flow of the movie is pretty faithful to at least the first half of the comic of how that story flows, with Batman going up, rescuing the child who was captured by Bane in the movie, but it was Croc in the comic, and then him getting involved with Catwoman. Then you got the Poison Ivy stuff, how she controlled Catwoman, then eventually controlled Superman. And we get that cool fight between Batman and Superman in the sewers. And um, leading up to the confrontation with uh, Harley and the Joker while they're at their opera, that stuff was handled great. I mean, some of that stuff was pretty much pulled right off the page from the comic and then brought to life in animation, In particularly the Joker sequence. That was such a great moment visually in the comic with Batman just losing it beating up the Joker after he thinks he killed Tommy Elliot. And there are just some great iconic images by Jim Lee from that comic that are used just to highlight Batman versus the Joker, or vice versa, where they're showing images of the Joker. A lot of images from that comic are used all the time. And they were replicated so well in the animated movie. It just you know brought a smile to my face saying, yeah, they did a great job of putting, bringing Paige to life in animation in that sequence. So there was a lot of stuff like that throughout the movie. And I got to say, the animation on it was absolutely beautiful. This, I might go on record saying this might be the most beautifully animated DC movie. The style they did, it still has that look and animation art style that the DC Universe animated movies have. But they threw in that little Jim Lee aesthetic and even a little anime influence I felt in there too. And it just looked great. Batman looked absolutely fantastic and so many shots i love the new suit he had where it's the classic blue instead of the black and especially in that joker sequence i was talking about there's just a lot of great cool images of or shots of batman in that sequence and just throughout the movie the choreography of the fights was animated beautifully it was just so well done so that was a big highlight for it and another thing i felt that they added to the story as well and i felt worked is the relationship between Batman and Catwoman. And we know that was a big element of the comic story, but it was really the forefront of this movie. If anything, it could have been called Batman and Catwoman instead of being called Batman Hush, even though, you know, like I said, they did a great job of adapting a lot of those classic moments from the story. But since the focus, because of the change of the Riddler being Hush, the focus wasn't on Batman and or Bruce and Tommy Elliott's relationship as friends. The movie was focused on Batman and Catwoman's relationship and while i know in that original hush story that was a big focal point too where batman reveals his identity to her wondering if he can make this relationship work i felt the animated movie even through in a little bit of the stuff we're getting in the current batman and run by tom king with the batman and catwoman relationship there it wasn't like they got engaged or anything in the movie but the idea of them working together more there was a quick little montage sequence of Batman and Catwoman just taking down different villains in Batman's rogues gallery. That reminded me of some of the stuff we saw in Tom King's run with Batman and Catwoman working together. So the movie did a great job of establishing Batman and Catwoman's relationship of, you know, them wanting to, they're in love with each other, wanting to work together and have a life together as Batman and Catwoman and Selina and Bruce. All that was done really well. And even how it ended, I thought, Was a great job because we knew they weren't going to be together by the time the movie ended. But the reasoning behind it I felt worked really, really well. There was a moment at the end fight between Batman and the Riddler where Riddler is the building he's in is going to explode. There's a pit of fire down below and he's hanging on. You know, there's this catwalk that they were fighting on. It's collapsing. He's hanging on. If Batman has him, if he lets go, he's going to die. And Batman's going to save him like he always does. He has his code, but Catwoman doesn't want him to. After everything he did to not only Bruce, but to her being manipulated by him, she wants to let Batman, to let him die. And But Batman won't have it. So what she does, um, she just pretty much, I forget exactly what she does. I think she just cuts the rope uh, with her claws that Riddler was hanging on, and he falls to his death. Catwoman kills her. And because of that, Catwoman, you would think, this is how I like to flip things around. Usually when Batman and Catwoman's relationship doesn't work, it's because Batman knows he can't be with Catwoman because she won't change her way. She'll always be a criminal, and he'll always be on the side for justice. But in this one, it's actually Catwoman who leaves Batman because she can't deal with the fact that he'll never break his code, even in certain in- instances where maybe it's the right thing to do, and a lot of people would be better off because of it. And the fact that he'll never change that, aspect of the way he fights crime and just the way he goes about his life as Batman. She can't be with him because of that. And I just felt that was a nice way to do things and to change it up a little bit, to show it from her, her perspective of how she feels and the values that she has that is different from Batman's. So it was just a different way to end the relationship on that. I wasn't quite expecting some that made sense though, in the end, and you understood where Catwoman's coming from, but at the same time, You just have that much more respect for Batman for never breaking uh, down on the code and the value that he has as a crime fighter and the value he puts on never killing his enemies and saving every life he could so everyone can have a chance to change. So just great stuff all around getting into, you know, the emotional core of these characters and what makes these characters so unique and so complex that we just love seeing the stories about them. So I enjoyed the heck out of the movie. There's great action sequences, some fun moments. Uh, dick and Dam- damien has a little cameo but it's a great one dicks and bruce's dialogue and banter they have together is always great to see in these movies so just a lot of great stuff all around so in my book i felt it's a very good adaption of batman hush despite the big change of the riddler being hush and not tommy elliott and again if i can totally understand how some fans might not like the movie because of that totally get it but for me it wasn't a deal breaker everything else in the movie works so well and that changed worked in the story so overall i'm going to give this one a four out of five just a lot of stuff to love about it i think it's one of the better solo batman movies that are in the dc animated universe continuity and if we're not going to get a new batman solo movie next year this was a good one to end it on because it ended on a high note with batman Hut. so I would definitely recommend you checking it out if you haven't yet. And if even if you're a little hesitant because of the changes, still give it a shot. You might end up enjoying it and seeing how it works better. So I definitely give it a thumbs up. And I wasn't the only one because I put the word out on Twitter that I'm going to be talking about Batman Hush on this episode. And we got a response from one of our new followers after responding to our tweet. This is from Eddie R. Hurtado at Valmont103. His thoughts on Hush. He says, I thought it was pretty great overall and definitely enjoyed the new twist at the end, made for a powerful third, and most of all, love the deeper emphasis on the Bat Cat relationship. Shout out for Damien's cameo as well. So, thank you, Eddie, for your response. It sounds like we're on the same page as regarding the adaption of Hush for this movie. So glad to hear you enjoyed it as well. So, yeah, that's my review of Batman Hush. I think it lived up to the hype as far as being excited for this story finally being adapted. And I think they did a good job with it. So hats off to the crew at Warner Brothers Animation. And I got to say another thing, which is cool about the movie. They're finally bringing back the DC Showcase animated shorts, uh, which, you know, it's almost, man, almost probably 10 years (laughs) since we've had an animated short. But it's because they did one with Green Arrow, Spectre, Jonah Hex, and then Catwoman had one in Batman Year One. Just great, cool little extras to get on some DC characters that we probably won't ever see get a full-length animated movie so this one had sergeant rock and this one was really well done as well bruce tim directed it and it's about sergeant rock and his crew in world war ii how his battalion pretty much gets captured and ambushed in a battle and he loses his squad and but the army gives him a new squad and it's made up with classic monsters like frankenstein the wolfman and a vampire to go up against you know some nazis and their experiments so some great action and Carl Urban voice Sergeant Rock, which I wasn't expecting and which was a nice surprise. I love Carl Urban as an actor and he did a great job as Sergeant Rock in this animated short. So just a cool, great package all around for Batman Hush. The movie's great. You get an extra cool short with Sergeant Rock and so one documentary exploring the relationship between Batman and Catwoman, which was pretty cool to see as well. So just all around, Batman Hush was a, a really great uh blu-ray to get so if you're interested i definitely recommend it
1: did you see um carl urban in the boys oh, i know but like i've it? heard great yeah.
0: things about that show and it's making me want to check it out because i never really heard of it i knew it was yeah. based off a comic story but it wasn't really on my radar but now i want to check it out yeah it's really good yeah you think it lives up to the hype
1: yeah i haven't read the the comic either but um i, li- I really like the show uh, it's an interesting twist on, you know, the sort of superhero uh, team up. I, I see gonna... a lot of
0: comparisons to Watchmen as far as its story goes and kind of how it treats the superhero notation kind type of thing. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's um, it's kind of like Watchmen, but it's a little more uh, uh, how, how, how do you put it? Uh, it's 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 a little less like mythical. You know how like Watchmen has that mythical thing with. Um. Uh, it's it's really hard to describe.
0: Part of me wants to say, is that like more grounded? But yet, I know the superheroes with powers. Yeah, grounded, presented. grounded. Okay.
1: Sorry, it's it's a little more grounded. Yeah, the, yeah, the superheroes have powers, and like you know, you you have your Superman and Wonder Woman stand in, and mm. man and you know, Flash. But um, yeah, it's it's a little more grounded and realistic rather than you know. Like Watchmen.
0: Okay, so not like Doctor Manhattan and is like be able to control the universe and time and all that. Yeah, no,
1: nothing, nothing like. Oh, I dropped this piece of popcorn six seconds ago, but in the future, or something.
0: (laughs) Uh Okay.
1: Yeah, it's none of that. It's a little more grounded, a little more realistic. And uh, Carl
0: Carl Urban is really good in it. So
1: a Scottish accent for some. Oh,
0: really. And Carl Orban's pretty much great at everything I've seen him in. Obviously, yeah. first saw him in Lord of the Rings as Aemir, then with Dread he was great in that, and fantastic as Bones in the Star Trek <laughs> series. So, How old was he in um, Lord of the Rings? Had to be probably mid-twenties, something like that, because how old is he now? Somewhere in his forties, probably? Yeah, I don't know. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> something you probably look up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever you ever see the show Almost Human? It was on Fox, I think, like between like around twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. It Almost was only, human. it only lasted one season, but it was, it was set in yeah. the future. He was a police officer who worked with their partners were actually like cyborgs and robots. But and his like partner was kind <laughs>
1: yeah, of yeah. I, I think I remember it. No,
0: was it was it was a little bit. It definitely had a Blade Runner influence to it. It so, was on Fox. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, it was actually a pretty good series. It, this, his character and his partner were really great, so some that I felt really nice if a show lasted longer. But like I said, only got one season.
1: Okay, so he was born in 1972. He's 47 now. Uh, and Lord of the Rings was in 2002.
0: Yeah, one? Two Towers was yeah. So that was his first. 2002. Year.
1: Okay, so he yeah. was. They had to be in his 30s. Yeah! Wow. Hmm. Well, he's definitely. See, I, I I could have swore he was in his early forties right now. And yeah, I would, he must have been in his twenties in <laughs> Lord of the Rings. He
0: definitely but, doesn't look his age. That's for sure. Well, <laughs> he's looks young.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's from New Zealand. Thought so he's from Australia.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to. We have the definitely have that thick New Zealand accent.
1: Well, I mean, I can't tell the difference between a New Zealand accent and a.
0: Oh, really? I'm yeah, sure. I, I could. Accent. Oh, you can? <laughs> I, I think yeah. you can easily tell the difference. But Was it like not, more British or something? Not with Carl Urban, obviously, but. Yeah. So, yeah, we need to get Carl Urban and more stuff. <laughs> Glad he's jumping into the superhero genre more with the boys and voice and Sergeant Rock. So, but that's good yeah, to see. He's been in like
1: fantasy. He's been in. Well, he was, on, he, he, he was in Dread. It's a yeah. Um he he he's got the fantasy with, with uh Lord of the Rings got sci-fi, the sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> video game movie because he was in Doom. He was. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, the
0: the the rock one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I wonder if that's something he wished wasn't on his resume. Or he just had a good time with it. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, matter. I'm much. sure he doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> done plenty of other great stuff. But. Yeah, He's in Thor? Yeah, he was in Thor Ragnarok. Man, that's another one I forgot he's in. So he's well versed in the comic book genre. He's done a yeah. lot of roles. But. He played Scourge, Scourge. Which is the villain. Hela's like, right-hand man is like her enforcer type of thing. Or type of character. He was no. funny as that too, but sadly got killed off. But, but it would have been nice to see him again in the next Thor movie we're going to get. Same thing with uh,
1: Zachary Levi, right? Yeah, <laughs> he that was, got killed off, and...
0: it was pretty sad how those characters got killed off in Thor Ragnarok because they're such you know big characters in the first Thor movies and just the Thor franchise in general, and they just get killed off in the first two seconds without any dialogue <laughs> in <That's>... Ragnarok. <laughs> But hey, he got to do Shazam afterwards, so I'm sure it was, wasn't was too bad for him. But.
1: So, so let me ask you, what happens in Thor of the Dark World or whatever that's called? The Dark Universe, is it? It's the Dark, dark World, World. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what what happens in that one?
0: Basically, Natalie Portman's character, Jane Fox. Now, I haven't seen this movie in a few years. It's kind of regarded as like... Uh, the the, worst worst mcu movie even though it's not bad or horrible it's just you know when you compare it to the others it's kind of at the bottom so i haven't seen it since it came out on blu-ray in 2013 or actually early 2014 so it's been a while but basically jane foster gets infected with this element called the ether which ends up being one of the infinity stones though you don't know it while you're watching the movie yet and the villain malekith who's a dark elf who got released from his imprisonment is after it, of course, because he can control uh, reality with it because it is the reality gem. So she gets infected with that. Thor has to bring her to Asgard to try to heal her. But then uh, he, Asgard gets attacked by Malekith in the Dark Elves, which results in the death of Thor's mother. And then him and Loki have to go. I See, this is where I forget. If Malekith kidnapped Jane in that sequence and they have to go rescue her in the Dark World. That I can't remember, but they end up going to the Dark World. I think that's the case, because they do find her there. And that's where Thor believes Loki gets killed. But of course, you know, that's not the case, as we see at the end of the movie and in Thor Ragnarok, when he finds out he's been impersonating Odin those years in between Thor the Dark World and Thor Ragnarok. So that's pretty much the big plot point that affected the grand uh, course of storytelling in the MCU, I guess is where Thor thought Loki was dead, and we got our first look at one of the Infinity Stones in the ether and what it could do. So, yeah, I probably should rewatch and revisit it at some point. I'd want to do a whole MCU rewatch some point, sometime soon because we're at a point now that Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home are out. It's going to be a yeah. while since the next MCU movie, which has kind of made things, at least for me, a little hard to do the rewatch because if you start in the middle to do a rewatch, kind of in the middle of it, a new MCU movie would come out and it would mess up your order of rewatching and everything <laughs> in the order that it should be. But now that we got a pretty big gap between the next movie, which is black widow in may 2020, this might be the good time for me to rewatch all of them once Endgame and Spider-Man hit blu-ray.
1: What happened to Stella, uh, scar Skarsgard, guards character.
0: He was like he was the big name? thing at Thor's the Darker. He was going yeah. crazy, <laughs> like, uh-huh. but he snapped out of it. He showed up in A- Avengers: Age of Ultron to help Thor find this pool that makes him aware of the Infinity Stones. That's like kind of the weakest aspect of <laughs> Age of Ultron. The Thor subplot. So okay. that was the last time we've seen him, I believe. So what's I'm not sure if he's going to show up again. <laughs> um, what's his name in
1: uh,
0: Thor? Eric Selvig. Doesn't ring a bell. <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> not at all. And and I'm guessing Loki is the the bad guy in Dark
0: World. Not the main bad guy. Oh. Like I said, the Dark Elf Malekith was the main villain, who is probably the most underdeveloped MCU villain ever. <laughs> was so forgettable. Who's he played by? Uh, I forget the actor's name. Oh, oh, let me look it up. Yeah, it's type it Thor the Dark World Malekith. Okay. World. Okay. I just know. Oh, uh, Christopher Eccleston. Okay. Has he been in much anything else? Name I'm not too familiar with as far as other roles. Uh,
1: I've I've seen him in things. It's just Oh He he, he's a Doctor Who guy. Uh, Yeah. since but I haven't seen the episode I, yeah. of Doctor Who,
0: I wouldn't know. <laughs> I would
1: not have known that, but uh Yeah, Dark World. Oh, he was in Leftovers. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Uh David Lindelof's uh previous show before the Watchmen show. Um
0: Maybe he'll be in Watchmen.
1: Yeah. Uh G.I. Joe. <laughs>
0: oh there you
1: go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh got in sixty seconds, Tim. your favorite movie uh 28 days later yeah i remember him from that
0: all these movies i haven't seen so i think door the dark world is the only thing i've seen him in and again (laughs) he was in full blown dark elf makeup so i probably wouldn't recognize his face
1: (laughs) yeah same thing with ben mendelsohn and um
0: uh what
1: is that called Uh, captain Captain marvel Marvel. Yeah. yeah totally didn't know that was him
0: well, you could tell by his voice, though. I mean, he has this distinct voice and this his mannerism and how he says things.
1: I think. Yeah, but I, I had no idea that he was even attached
0: to, this, <laughs> <laughs> to 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 that movie. So it was a nice surprise to get when you're watching it. Though.
1: Man, is it isn't um you know Captain Marvel's friend in the Air Force? Uh-huh. Isn't she going to be the new 007
0: yeah, there was reports about that. Where she, yeah. She's definitely in the next Bond movie, but they were saying how she's going to take up the 007 mantle. I think it's the yeah. rumor going on for it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, this is definitely Daniel Craig's last one, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like they would say that for the last two, but yeah. Well, yeah. if, Every, they're, new, ever if since they're going that route, s- it sounds like it's going to be. Yeah,
1: ever since that second one, I think. Uh, what was that one was called? Like, like Quarter... A Quantum of Solace? Quantum of Solace, right. Yeah, ever since that second one, it's like, oh, this might be, the the next one might be his last one. And, and then that was, um,
0: what was that, Tim? Well, I don't know what year it came out. But <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> that'd be like 2009, 2010, something like that. I know the first one, Casino Royale, came out in 2006.
1: And I thought that one was good. Uh, I haven't seen any of his Bond that, movies, actually, Royale. so but I've heard yeah, casino, casino Royale was
0: really good. Yeah,
1: Casino Royale was good. Um let's see. Clown La Skyfall. Skyfall
0: Inspector. Yeah, those were the last two, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's had a pretty good run as Bond, which is going to be his, what, fifth one? Fifth. fifth, yeah. More than Pierce Brosnan. Uh, only had four. <laughs> and Timothy Dalton and only had two. <laughs> okay.
1: And I like uh, After Spectre. His next credit is Star Wars The Force Awakens and so Star <laughs> Trooper FN, 1824.
0: The one who got uh, mind-controlled by Ray when she had to escape being imprisoned by Kylo Ren. Right. <laughs> which wasn't I think it, would always uh, be his greatest role.
1: Wasn't it Tom Hardy, the one that got cut?
0: Yeah, in like, The Last Jedi. He only, yeah, it was only on Blu-ray, right? Oh. Uh, yeah. Which, if you see the scene... You, kind of glad it got cut <laughs> it's like an oh, elevator right yeah, was, yeah the humor in it was kind of <laughs> didn't necessarily fit in my opinion right so uh, that one I wasn't sad to see not make the cut in the final movie <laughs> but anyway that's our recap of the you know the lower point of the MCU with door of the dark world and the actors involved with it. <laughs> Trying to think how we even got to that topic, I forget. But uh, it's, start... it's
1: one of the yeah, it's one of the only uh, MCU movies I haven't seen yet. Um,
0: I will say yeah. it's not it's not one you definitely have to see to Like if you were to watch it yeah. just by itself, but if you're going to do a rewatch, I won't say skip it. I think you should still watch it if you're going to plan to see the whole MCU Infinity Saga story play out. It's one you should definitely watch.
1: Uh, Iron Man Two, I also didn't see.
0: That one has a kind of a bad reputation, but I actually really like it. I think at the very least, it's very entertaining. So, is
1: that the Mandarin one, or is it the next
0: one? That's the next one, Iron Man. Yeah, that one's not that great to me. It starts off really good, but when you have that big Mandarin twist, that's where it kind of (laughs) got kind of went for the joke aspect of it, which you know didn't really work for me. But can't win them all when you got over twenty movies. So (laughs) it's going to be found to be some that not are necessarily bad but just don't quite measure up to the others
1: hey, you know um forrest gump mm-hmm. um you know adjusted for inflation it's made more than um all of the marvel movies except for endgame
0: and that doesn't surprise me i mean you can yeah. say that about a lot of movies when you adjust it for inflation so <laughs> kind of something I shouldn't really get hung up about because i think still gone with the wind is a Biggest movie ever, really? when you adjust it for inflation. So <laughs> I don't think nothing's come close to topping that yet. Oh. So can't really go by that market. <laughs> so yeah. you just got to have fun when a movie beats another movie when you don't look at inflation because otherwise, get to the schematics of it, it takes the fun out of it. <laughs> okay. But speaking of fun, there's going to be a lot of fun stuff coming to TV in this fall if you're a DC fan. As we get to our news and discussion topics, there's some stuff that has me really, really excited. So, first up, we'll get to the first trailer for Titans Season 2 that was first premiered at Comic-Con, but they released it online this past week. And I know I said on our last episode that I have just started watching Titans and I've been enjoying it. Well, I finished the first season last, or two weeks ago. Uh, actually, the day uh, we recorded our episode <laughs> that night, I went and finished the season. And... While the season finale, it ended on an awkward note because I've heard this going into it and I definitely understood what people were talking about how it ends a lot sooner than it should have because they cut the season down by one episode. It definitely did not feel like a finale. It just kind of ends abruptly. They wanted to have that cliffhanger effect, but it didn't necessarily work because now when season two begins, you're pretty much picking up with finishing off the story arc from season one that deals with Trigon and Raven and Dick Grayson. So that was a little disappointing to have the season end on, you know, a lackluster note as far as wanting that cliffhanger surprise because how it ends, um, the season finale is Dick's live kind of going through this dreamlike sequence where Batman has just went over the edge. He's killing villains. Then he goes as far as killing police officers and Dick has to be the one to stop him and take him down. And, Dick embraces the darkness that he's kind of been dealing with throughout the course of the season and ends up killing Batman in that finale episode. And when he wakes up from that dreamlike state, he's kind of under Trigon's control. and That's where the season ends, where really it should just pick up in the next episode and see how him and Raven uh, defeat Trigon. But we have to wait till season two. You could just tell when you're watching that this. You could know this wasn't the intended season finale. So that was a little bummer to end what was overall a great first season of Titans. I mean, I said on our last episode how much I enjoyed it, but now that I have seen the whole season and it definitely surpassed my expectations. And again, going back to that first trailer where it wasn't necessarily the best first look at it, watching the whole series. I mean, you can't go by that trailer. (laughs) You just got to watch the series and see it for yourself. And I'm sure not everyone's going to love it, but for me, just as a hardcore DC fan and just, the Batman franchise in particular with Robin, there has not been a better translation of the character in live action yet. I know there's not hasn't been too many adaptions, but this is the best you're going to get with Dick Grayson and Jason Todd. And I said on our last episode how much I enjoyed their interactions together and the episode that focused on them. But just the dynamic between the Titans themselves, when you throw in Raven and Dick's relationship, as Dick is becoming that parental figure to her, kind of like how Bruce was to him. But still struggling not to be like Bruce and that'd be as dark as him. So just great stuff with both Raven and Dick's character arcs. Then he's on Starfire and Beast Boy, that you know were good portrayals of them also. Just a lot of great stuff about Titans. And the thing I really loved about it, I'm not sure if I said this when I was talking about it on our last episode, but I just love how this is an established DC universe already all the big characters you would expect exist in it. I mean, you might not see them, but they're there. You hear name drops of Wonder Woman, of Superman, of Lex Luthor, and you know Batman, obviously. just I love how it's an established universe and they're not tippy-toeing around, not mentioning the big characters like we've seen on other uh, DC superheroes uh, in the past. So I just love how they're embracing the universe and it's just building on it. And then after Titans, I watched Doom Patrol. I actually just finished that season last night. And man, what a. I heard it was a unique, wacky comic book show like none other. And that. It was exactly that. But man, did I love it. <laughs> it did a great job of balancing the crazy, wacky humor. It's kind of Deadpool esque a little bit. As it breaks the fourth wall. There's some crude humor here and there. But man, the character drama and the uh, character arcs that all the main characters have in it was so engaging and so well done. I loved pretty much every character in this robot man, the uh, negative man and crazy Jane Elastigirl, the main core of the Doom patrol were just, I'm not too familiar with the story. I've only known them from, you know, the probably my business uh, biggest exposure to them was the brave and the bold episode, the last patrol, which was fantastic and so getting fully immersed in these characters throughout the series which is great you just really get connected with them and just seeing how this dysfunctional group of characters come together and work together it was just great to see it like i said mixed in with crazy humor but with great drama and portrayal as well and cyborg in the series he has nothing really to do with the doom patrol but they brought him in to be a main character in this series and this is probably the best portrayal of cyborg i've seen it was just great i've i've like, you on know, the actor's name right now, I probably should have looked it up before I started talking about it, but he does a great job of portraying Cyborg as someone, you know, who's not just this stoic, robotic character as he can be portrayed sometimes, you know, but he, you know, there's a lot of personality to him, but yet he still struggles between that, you know, trying to be more human than machine aspect and being worried that the machine part of him is going to take over, and this great you know, family drama with between uh, Vic and his father, Silas, as far as, you know, how to go about uh, Vic being cyborg and being a hero and how to be a hero and uh, working with the technology that is in his body now. So just great stuff all around with these characters. But I was really impressed with what they did with Cyborg here as well. So I highly recommend Doom Patrol, and glad to see that's getting a second season with Titans. So I was supposed to be talking about the season two trailer, but I went off about season one of both shows. (laughs) That just shows how much I've enjoyed uh, the both series but in regards to Titan season 2 um, yeah this trailer it made me think man I'm glad I caught up with the series because I cannot wait for season 2 to begin um, not much story being told in this trailer just a lot of cool shots of the characters we saw from season 1 and some new ones I see a lot of them in their costumes like Wonder Girl in her costume we see Aqualad who's going to be a new member of the show Robin of course obviously back both Jason and Dick Hawk and Dove We get our first glimpse of Superboy, who is going to be great to see join the team. And the biggest thing, of course, that... Or the two biggest, I should say, which is going to be the big draws of Season 2, Deathstroke, who we got a glimpse of his suit at the end. And it's still not the best looking look at his costume because he's still kind of in the shadows and in the dark. It's a dark-lit room that he's making his uh, presence known in in this trailer. But it definitely looks like they're taking... Heavy inspiration from this classic comic look. And I think it's gonna look cool when we finally see it see it in motion and in better lighting and how it looks uh fully on display. So I can't wait to see how Deathstroke is gonna be involved with this series. A lot of his children that uh, we know about from classic Titan stories are gonna be in the series as well. And so yeah, the Deathstroke aspect of season two I cannot wait to see. But the biggest thing, of course, is that Bruce Wayne is gonna be in season two played by Ian Glenn, a.k.a. Sir Jorah Mormont, from Game of Thrones, and we got our first look and bit of dialogue from him as Bruce. And this is the one thing that, just being a big Game of Thrones fan, that might take a little bit of getting used to, because in the one clip they had of him talking to Dick in the trailer, it just felt like I was hearing Jorah talk to Daenerys or someone else in Game of Thrones. He's not doing much to change his, you know, I guess his characteristics that we saw in Game of Thrones as Jorah. I mean, again, it's just a few bits of dialogue here and just seconds of footage we saw of him. But I just couldn't help but think, oh, that's Sir Jorah talking to Dick Grayson, not Bruce Wayne talking <laughs> to Dick Grayson. So that might not be a problem for anyone who hasn't seen Game of Thrones. And this will be the first exposure to Ian Glenn. But for someone who's been watching Game of Thrones just in these last few years, it's going to be hard not to separate the two when I watch it. But I'm hoping there'll be some stuff where it, you know he'll change up, I guess, his personality or acting the acting as Bruce Wayne and make it different than what we saw in Game of Thrones with Jorah. So, um, not necessarily concerned about it, but I just couldn't help but feel that way when I saw that part in the trailer. Where I'm hoping I'll be able to separate the two, and he gives a performance here that makes me feel like I'm watching Bruce Wayne and not Jorah Mormont. So, but we'll see. If I couldn't help but feel that way when I saw the trailer. But regardless, I'm just super excited for Season 2 to begin after just finishing Season 1. It's going to start on September 6th. And I'm just getting fully invested in this DC Universe app TV show universe. (laughs) Because with Titans and Doom Patrol being in the same universe, and like how I said, they're really going full-blown into the DC lore, which is great. They're not afraid to... really go into the mythology of these dc characters and its history which is what we love about it and if these shows continue on with further seasons and more series can be developed set in the same universe i think this has the potential to be the best live action shared dc universe it has that potential because like i said they're embracing everything about dc and they're doing a great job portraying the characters that they have developed on these TV shows already. And we know there's so much more they can bring in to grow this universe even further. And that's what I'm hopeful about. So, um, yeah, excited about both Titans and Doom Patrol season two and just looking forward to watching them. Now that I got the DC app, this is what I was waiting for <laughs> all the times of me complaining how it wasn't on the Xbox. Cause I wanted to experience these TV shows on my TV and enjoy them. How, how, you know, the best way quality possible. Now that they're, they're being streamed in 4K and it's more than lived up to the weight I had for the app to be available on the Xbox. I have loved both shows so much. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, and you're correct.
1: Um, so adjusting for inflation. Ronald, <laughs> right, you're going <laughs> way
0: back to that topic.
1: Because <laughs> I, I, I can't believe it. Um, so adjusted for inflation, got with the... Gone with the wind, made three point seven billion dollars.
0: There you go. See yeah.
1: <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah, um,
0: so technically you should always look look at that as the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um but I'm I'm glad to see that uh Endgame Past Avatar.
0: Yeah, finally a superhero right. movie has that title. <laughs> yeah, but, it's not gonna be Star Wars, let's have it be a comic book movie. By uh Three Three million dollars it passed. <laughs> hey, even if it's by the slimmest of margins, it still has a title.
1: Yeah, so it's Avengers Endgame, um, uh, Avatar, Titanic, Star Wars, The Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. Yeah,
0: Force yeah. Awakens came close, but no. yeah, <laughs> now people are uh, saying, well, what if you know they decide to re release Avatar before the sequels, and that will probably. Bump it back up into first place, and then they could re release Avengers and they'll bump (laughs) it back that to first place. So it might be a back and forth for these next few years or so. But
1: uh, adjusted for inflation,
0: uh, A New Hope made $3 billion. Well, that's second after Gone with the Wind.
1: Yeah. No, no, that's uh, fourth.
0: Oh, so what's after Gone with the Wind?
1: Uh, Avatar and Titanic. (laughs) Oh, really? Still?
0: Yeah. so yeah, was uh, uh, hoping Star Wars was still ahead of those.
1: Yeah, three point two bill billion for Avatar, and three point zero nine nine for Titanic, and Star Wars is at three point zero six one.
0: Uh, we release a new hope then. <laughs> let's get <laughs> another special edition out of theaters. <laughs> but continuing on with the DC TV theme here. Probably the coolest news to come out since our last episode. And maybe just the coolest news we've ever talked about on this podcast. It has been revealed that Bruce Wayne will be in the CW's Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. And it's going to be played by none other than Kevin Conroy. Uh-huh. And wow, what brilliant, brilliant casting right there. I, mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw this. Because the Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, crossover event it's shaping up to be something pretty big with a lot of great fan service casting, because you got Brandon Routh coming back playing Superman. He's going to be playing the Kingdom Come Superman. Then you got Burt Ward is going to be in the crossover. And just to have Kevin Conroy, he's going to be playing an older Bruce Wayne. So it makes me think, are they going to go Batman Beyond route? Or since Brandon Routh is playing Kingdom Come Superman, will Kevin Conroy be playing uh, Kingdom Come Bruce Wayne? Which I think would be cool too, but... Just the idea that we're going to see Kevin Conroy play Bruce Wayne in live action—I mean, how amazing is that? <laughs> I mean, it's something I always thought about. You know, if Kevin Conroy, back in his early younger days as an actor, he'd be he'd make actually a really good Bruce Wayne. He has that look. He obviously has the voice. So it would have been cool to see him play Bruce Wayne back in his younger days. But now that he's going to get the chance to play the older Bruce Wayne, it's oh man! I still can't get over sometimes. I think someone better pinch me to wake me up. Is this actually happening? <laughs> to see Kevin Conway play Bruce Wayne in live action. I cannot wait to see this. I think it's some, I've seen some thinking of, oh, or some reaction to it online saying, uh, CW is just playing to like the fan casting aspect or just fan service. And why not? I mean, this is what part of the fun of these shows is all about, especially when these crossover events happen. They're just, they're for the diehard DC fans. And the fact that, they're really going all out in this crossover, um, and they should if they're doing Crisis on Infinite Earths. You know how big that story is. So the fact that they are bringing in all these big characters and these big cameos and actors that are fan favorites to play these iconic characters is just great. And I cannot wait to see how Kevin Conroy's Bruce Wayne is going to be involved in the story. I'm just hoping beyond hope that not only does he interact with you know Oliver Queen and Barry Allen, but... Brandon Routh Superman to get an interaction between this Kevin Conroy's Bruce Wayne and Brandon Routh's Superman. That's going to be awesome. So this is some really surprising news to get. But one that, man, I cannot be happier about just to see Kevin Conroy be Bruce in live action. It's going to make this crossover worth it, regardless if it's, you know, maybe doesn't live up to expectations and doesn't end up being uh, the epic crossover we were hoping for there's no doubt in my mind that Kevin Conroy is not going to disappoint as his portrayal as Bruce Wayne in a live action. I cannot wait to see it. And just hopefully it's not something that's just a brief cameo. Hopefully he's in a full episode. Won't necessarily expect him to be in every... Because the episode's going to be five parts. And so I don't expect him to be in every one of them. But if he plays a significant role in at least one, then that would be great. So, yeah, this, this crossover just keeps getting better and better. And I can't wait to see it. And we know it's Arrow's last season. And I think the final episode is probably going to tie into Crisis on Infinite Earths. And what a way to go out, <laughs> going out on this big event where you're bringing in all of these DC characters played by classic actors. This is going to be awesome.
1: So, so what if it's just like, uh, oh, hey, and then it's done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that will be disappointing. It'll be cool to see him on the screen for two seconds, but hopefully it's at least a minute. <laughs> hey,
1: oh, hey, nope. and then, OK, we're done.
0: Don't want to waste Kevin Conroy's talent just by having him say hey. So. <laughs> but yeah, so even if you're not going to watch the full crossover day, and you, I think you at least got to watch whatever episode Kevin Conroy's going to be in. I'll be sure to keep you up to date for which episode that is.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm just afraid, like, um, I don't know. The, the reason why I don't get invested, especially in the uh, the DC app shows, uh, is because I'm afraid I'm finally going to get invest, invested in it. And then it's just the uh, Water Brothers is just going to cancel it.
0: That is a legit concern, especially for the DC app shows. Not going to lie there. So, yeah. and I could definitely understand that. But at, at the same time, it might be some, you know, maybe just to wait to see if it does get canceled and it's only like two seasons for Titans and Doom Patrol. Then you can just go watch them when knowing that they're done and just get that one story told and I guess that one binge watch that you do for it but I can understand that wanting to watch it and worrying about it if it's going to be cancelled or whatnot so (laughs) yeah hopefully that's not the case because I know things are up in the air as far as the new HBO Max app which is pretty much the Warner Brothers app because they're thinking oh it's going to encompass everything that Warner Brothers owns including DC so what's going to happen to the DC Universe app but for right now it looks like it's going to stay they said Doom Patrol season 2 was going to premiere on both so we'll see how long that last part of me thinks eventually the dc universe the dc universe app will just merge into the hbo max app and everything will be on there but for right now we still got the dc universe app and with what happened with Swamp Thing, i mean that's obviously a legit concern to have about <laughs> these shows so but thankfully it hasn't happened with titans and Doom patrol just yet
1: yeah like before the show even premieres they cancel it
0: yeah that was just such a lame way to do it i mean and, uh, talk about doom from the start i mean I just losing the excitement for it It was such a bummer for fans who were, were super hyped for slumping because i know there was a lot of them yeah and people said it was really good but i think it just ended last week and people are saying you can kind of tell that it was cut short and didn't end on the way it probably should have ended of which course. is a shame
1: yeah of course um I'm just wondering, like, was it really the tax thing that canceled that show, or
0: Uh, it was probably a multitude of things. I think the uncertainty of the DC Universe app and the HBO Max app—I'm sure that played a role in it too. Maybe so. I don't know. (laughs) Why?
1: Why did they? I don't know. It's like, why did they release it if they're just going to take it back? You know, yeah, it was, and do something different.
0: It kind of just showed, like, they they didn't know what they were doing, <laughs> like, with this. So, right. Yeah, they maybe maybe progressed on it a little too far than they should have, as far as putting these shows in production, when realistically it wasn't going to work out. But, yeah, Yeah, it's a bummer. So, sorry to all the watch, or the Swamp Thing fans out there <laughs> who were really excited about the show and knew it wasn't going to last even before it premiered. That, yeah, it makes me wonder about, um, uh,
1: Watchmen is it, is it going to be a thing where kind of like Netflix and Daredevil and all those Marvel shows where
0: they're going to you do can kind of say that of with seasons? any TV show really I mean you never know that's nothing's ever guaranteed with it but
1: no but I mean the, the the only reason why they they don't make Daredevil or Jessica Jones or whoever right. Mm-mm. Uh, the the reason why they don't make those shows anymore is because didn't Disney want their stuff back?
0: It was like, yeah, they made that deal with Netflix. Because there's two sides of Marvel. There's Marvel Television, and then there's Marvel Studios, obviously, the MCU. Right. And being how successful the MCU is, I think Disney kind of realized they shouldn't be splitting up (laughs) these characters into these kind of two separate divisions, even though the Marvel television tried to connect the TV shows to the MCUs, the movie never recognized them as stories that were in canon. And obviously stuff's being contradicted now with, um, uh, Al Ali playing, you know, blade now even when he was the main villain in Luke Cage season one, that's obviously <laughs> going to be a little thorn in the continuity side of things, but they just figured, you know, it doesn't make sense, I guess, to do that anymore. So was, which is why, the TV shows coming to Disney Plus are being made by Marvel Studios and not Marvel Television. So, I don't, not sure how much more you're going to see on the live action front from Marvel Television. That's not connected to the MCU, but looks like for the foreseeable future, everything's going to be connected to uh, the DC or the Disney Plus app, and it's going to be made by Marvel Studios for their their TV shows. Go. So, in the end, it'll be for the best. But even though Daredevil was great, it was a shame to see that not get a fourth season. But right. And hopefully marvel studios will use the character again and it would be nice if they use the same actors because charlie cox and vincent D'Onofrio are just perfect as daredevil and kingpin and we'd hate to see it's kind of be hard to see someone else in the role now after how great they were in both those roles as kingpin and daredevil yeah but at least
1: W- weren't you saying something about HBO Max and like how the shows are going to be on HBO Max?
0: Just Doom Patrol right now. It's going
1: to be on both. Oh, okay. Never mind. I was gonna <laughs> <say> at least, <laughs> at least it's owned by a company that is under Warner Brothers. But I guess
0: not. Well, yeah, it is, but they're still deciding to have two separate things. <laughs> so <laughs> it is still under by all by Warner Brothers eventually, but <laughs> they're just not having it on the same platform right now which I think uh, eventually will be the case. I think everything is going to be on one HBO Max. This might take a little bit, so, but we'll see. But with that, that's... Just... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I, was, I was just going to say, why don't they just make a Warner Brothers channel?
0: Well, that's what I'm HBO Max is, is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just not, they're using the HBO name, but uh, like I said, I think if they were to do it over, they'd hold back on the DC Universe app. And just put all the DC stuff on HBO Max. And I think they're slowly going to transition it into that. And it's going to start with Doom Patrol. So I think eventually we'll see everything on there. It just might take a few years. Yeah. And then I'll sign up for HBO Max. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) But with that, that's our news and discussion topics. It was all DC TV based. But there's a lot of great stuff on the horizon. Like I mentioned, And I can't wait to see it. But with that, we'll go ahead and move on to our comic book reviews. And for this episode, we're going to be covering Batman last night on Earth Number Two, Batman Number Seventy Six, and Batman TMNT Three Number Four. And as always, got to throw out the spoiler warning before we get into it because I'll be talking about all the stuff that transpires in these issues. So if you haven't read your books yet, you might want to hold off on listening to this aspect of the show. But once you read them, come back and hear what I had to say on these three issues I'll be discussing today. And for our rating scale, Dane, what do you think it should be for this one?
1: Okay, so our rating scale should be uh, outcomes of World Series games that Billy Bean could have played a part in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that that sounds good. Probably more than you would think, <laughs> from what you said told me at the beginning. <laughs> All right, so first up will be Batman Last Night on Earth, number two, which is, um, I just found out actually it's going to be a only a three-issue series, so we only got one more to go. And this is, of course, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's supposedly last story of their Batman arc that they began so long ago. And we were kind of mixed on the first issue, Dane, when that came out. We thought it started off good with a pretty cool concept, but then just went totally something different when it went to that post-apocalyptic world and everything in the DC world is flipped on its head. And this issue was kind of more of that, because it started off with another intriguing aspect where you just don't know where it fits into the grand schema theme in the story because it starts off with Batman confront confronting Joe Chill in his apartment questioning him because in the beginning, where we saw that kid that Bruce saw in Crime Alley and end up getting shot in, um, he says his DNA suggests that a, that child is Joe Chill's son, and Joe Chill reveals that he knows who Batman is, and this will be the last case Batman ever has to try and solve so you get that, and it kind of makes you think, oh, this is an intriguing way to explore Batman and Joe Cho's relationship. But then... Hey,
1: Sam, can, can I interrupt you real quick? Go uh, ahead. I, I don't know what's going to come next, but can we just stop it with the Joe Cho thing, trying to connect him more into the Batman story?
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a great concept if it's simple, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. not Not connected to... I don't know the Joker, not connected to. Oh, uh, Joe Chill's kid is the new blah blah blah. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. Just it works best when Bruce's parents are just murdered by a random mugging. Yeah, of course we know it's Joe Chill, and sometimes you know it's played off that he was a hitman or he, you know, just someone who needed money, like we saw in Batman Begins, and that's fine because it just as I think. Less adds more to why Batman or why Bruce does what he does as Batman. It's just a random mugging that he you know couldn't stop, and that happens all the time and Batman tries to make that his main focus on his war on crime, not a personal vendetta and of course, you know sometimes revenge plays in a role in Bat Bruce wanted to do what he does, but it's really since because it was a random mugging, that really is why he has his war on crime and why he b- believes he should try to or how he feels that. What happened to him should happen to nobody else and he's going to try to prevent that because it was so random and not a big connection to you know bruce's history or whatnot so i agree with you less is more when it comes to joe chill as the murderer of bruce's parents so like i said it is intriguing but at the same time i agree with you where it shouldn't be fully explored too much on this and i couldn't remember was rebirth as far as Joe chill being brought back to life or if he was dead. So when I saw this, I was just thinking, okay, I guess he's alive now (laughs) in this story anyways. And again, it has so far doesn't connect with anything in the main story of last night on earth. So I'm curious to what Scott Snyder is going to do with these, I guess, prologues, you can call them for each issue that has to deal with Bruce trying to solve this case. So we'll see. But as the story continues, you know, it's Bruce and the head of the Joker and this lantern looking for is trying to find Superman. And there's some, I don't know, like the interaction between Joker and Batman here is not the best. It's not horrible, but I don't think it's plain as entertaining or funny as I think it's being intended to. we got this whole thing of Joker trying to ask Batman, can I be a Robin now? Can I be your Robin now? It is kind of funny the first few times, but it kind of loses its uh funniness when Joker keeps saying it throughout the course of the issue so I mean it's not horrible but it's not the best where you have Batman and Joker working together on this quest to try to find Superman and we get this little history of what happened to the universe here why things are so messed up and this is the best part of the issue for me is where we find out the reasoning behind the people the world revolting it was because of Lex Luthor and I said when we reviewed the first issue that story element You know, I didn't really quite buy as far as that being the reason for the universe or the world, I should say, being thrown, you know, into chaos and just being ruined. But the reason what actually happened here is actually played out a little more interesting to me because Bruce and Joker make their way to the Fortress of Solitude and they find this beard of Superman. But it ends up being like a fake Superman, like a robot or a clone created by Lex Luthor to try to replace Superman because he's gone. And it turns out that Luthor is actually living on the Kent farm, and he's trying to make up for what happened and what he did to Superman. But what happened to him was actually pretty interesting. It started off where Lex Luthor wanted to have a debate with Superman, a public debate where both of them would debate the nature of good versus evil to the world. Everyone will see it. And in the end, the world would have the opportunity to vote as far as what it most believed in good or evil and throughout uh, Lex Luthor's narration to this he kept saying oh I made a great speech but when Superman started talking you could just see that he was going to (laughs) win the vote he just displayed so much as well you know what but what makes him great and displays that goodness that he's trying to you know show off to the world and to make him believe in good so Lex Luthor was ready to accept defeat and the loser of this debate would end up being killed by these kryptonite shards that would um, come out throughout the earth, depending on how the people voted. And once Luther was kind of preparing for himself to be the one to lose, the kryptonite shards sprung up onto Superman, killing him, thus showing the world voted on evil or doom or chill that there's more people who, be- who were evil or believed in doom on the earth. And that's what plunged everything into chaos. So, um, That's something that I felt the debate between Luthor and Superman was interesting and to have Superman lose and kind of show the state of mind most people in the DC world were having during that time, you know, made for an interesting concept and to see how everything plays out there and how it eventually led to the world's destruction. So and now Luthor is trying to make amends for that and to show that he was wrong or I guess maybe not wrong, but his remorse as far as you know, the death of Superman having this catastrophic effect on the world. So and then we get this whole thing with Bane and Scarecrow, because they're actually on the cover of issue two, how they're being sent by the main villain of the story who we don't know too much about, Omega, and how they're actually trying to find Alfred or they find Alfred and they try to poison him because he was helping Bruce. And then after they act appears that they killed Alfred. And that's um, after that, they attend the attack of uh, Batman, Lex and Joker, and they infect those clone robot Superman uh, versions that Lex created and Batman has to escape. Wonder Woman shows up to help them escape. And then they end up um, going onto the the Spectre's cloak, which is this, this big old landscape, which is like looks like it's a grass landscape, but it's actually the Spectre's cloak. And through that, uh, they're transported to you know the underworld and they have to take the boat. Um, through the underworld and they see a lot of the past Justice League members who are now dead and they're, if Bruce or Diana go into the water they'll be dead and Batman ends up seeing Alfred amongst those Justice League members and that, that's where he almost loses it. He tries to jump off the boat to try to help him but in the end Wonder Woman helps him you know, stay true to himself and you know, not go over there because he will die but Bruce is obviously showing that grief that Alfred has been killed by Bane and Scare- Scarecrow. So they make their way out of there and they're trying to infiltrate Gotham. But Gotham is, you know, under lockdown, it looks like it's under martial law by Omega. You see these troops and we end up seeing that it's actually the Court of Owls are there and they get confronted by a bunch of Talons and it gets revealed that their main leader is Dick Grayson, but he doesn't necessarily seem to be evil here or like turn to someone who's bad. He is surprised to see uh, Batman and Wonder Woman here. But we'll see what role he ends up playing in this story. And they're keeping the identity of Omega a mystery. Part of me thought that maybe it was Dick Grayson because they are hinting that it is someone kind of close to Batman. So we'll see who that ends up being. Maybe that's Joe Chill's child or (laughs) Joe Chill or who knows. And that's how it connects to the intro to this issue. So, yeah, this one's another mixed bag. I felt the Superman-Lex debate stuff was interesting. But so far, I just haven't been fully invested into this post-apocalyptic dc world that has been created here by scott snyder and the artwork is beautiful though greg capullo doesn't disappoint on that front with some new unique designs for these characters um which you know fit the post-apocalyptic world of that visual aesthetic that they're going for so that looks great just the story and just so oh, it's been a mixed bag for me so far so we'll see how it wraps up in the third issue but um this one i'm going to go ahead and give it um Um going between a two and a half and a three. It depends how much the art and that Superman like stuff I really enjoyed mixed in with the other stuff. So um I'm gonna go at a two and a half. While that stuff was interesting, not quite to put it over that two level or that two grade for me. So two and a half, I guess, moments or times that Billy Bean could have affected the outcome of the World Series if he made it to the major leagues. Not sure it's if that's exactly tax. how you worded it, but <laughs> I guess it gets the gist of it. <laughs> so not very many chances for Billy Bean in this issue.
1: <laughs> I think that's the lowest score I've ever heard you give.
0: No, I've given some ones before. I definitely really? have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> really? I don't remember. <laughs> There's been some bad issues, Dane, <laughs> that we've covered on this show. <laughs> really? The, uh, the one that sticks to mind or comes to mind the most, uh, what was it, the last... Issue of Nightwing of the New 52. It was the end of some run. they would have to deal with Nightwing and Bruce. That was just awful. Like them fighting in the Batcave or something like that. I just remember being really bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Obviously so bad, I remember what exactly it was. But uh, <laughs> that one kind of stood out to me. But next up, we have Batman number 76, which is part two of City of Bane. And this one, kind of similar to Last Night at Earth, it's and it hasn't gotten going for me yet. This is supposed to be Tom King's final, final big arc to his grand story that he started since uh, Rebirth and his Batman run started. But this one needs to get going a little bit for me because this one's still kind of showing how things are in Gotham City being ruled by Bane, and we just see different circumstances with different villains and heroes. While Batman is unconscious and being nursed back to health by Catwoman. Because as we saw in the last issue, Catwoman found him while he's out in the snowy mountains. uh, Being beat up and stabbed by these muggers. And Catwoman's there to bring him back to Gotham and nurse him back to health. But then we see other heroes trying to make their way into Gotham. And to do what they can to help it. But they get taken out by Gotham girl. We see her take out Captain Adam pretty easily without him putting up much of a fight. And then we see Scarecrow, um, Kite Man, and Tweedledee and Tweedledum trying to make it their way out of Arkham. Um, not every villain, I guess, is on board with Bane's plan and his rule over Gotham, and they're trying to escape, but the Thomas Wayne Batman is on their trail, and you know he likes to use lethal force, so they have to make their escape. But eventually, Thomas Wayne catches up to him. He takes out Kite Man. He stabs him with a batarang. I'm not sure if he kills him. I hope not, because... Kite Man has been one of the best aspects of Tom King's run on Batman. So he takes him out and then he ends up, you know, taking Scarecrow in. Scarecrow knew he was up or he couldn't beat him. So he just says, Take me out the hard way, please. And that's it. But then we get this cool moment, or nice moment, I should say, between Tim and Damien. Of course, Damien's showing that none of this is bothering him and how um, he, he everyone's not his concern because Tim is worried about Alfred. He's worried about Batman and Damien's all, I don't care. But then uh, Tim kind of brings out to Damien that, you know, he took our city. He took our father and that kind of sends Damien not over the edge. And of course, Tim has to rub it in saying he's nothing but a spoiled brat. And that's what sends Damien kind of to lose it as far as he feels helpless and he doesn't know what to do. And he's trying to play it off as being, you know, the arrogant person that he always tends to be, but he really feels helpless here and knows he has to do something to save Gotham and Bruce, but he just doesn't know what. So that was a nice little moment between Tim and Damien there. And like I said, Catwoman's trying to nurse Bruce back to help and she's stealing a painting just to get money to try to survive and keep Bruce's presence in Gotham a secret because the kind of the rule of thumb is that Bane has put over everyone on Gotham is that if anyone from the Bat family steps foot in Gotham, he's going to kill Alfred because he has Alfred captured. So Catwoman has to keep her presence and Bruce's presence a secret until I guess he's back on his feet and is able to fight to take Gotham back. So um, that's pretty much the gist of the issue. Like I said, nothing really substantial happens or moves the narrative forward too much, in my opinion, on this one. But just showing you the state of Gotham under Bane's rule here. So um, I'm going to go ahead and give this one... Uh, again just another two and a half out of five moments or impact that billy bean could have had on the world series if he made it to the big leagues nothing really great or spectacular but you know nothing horrible it just hasn't grabbed me like i felt this final arc of tom king's batman run should have so let's just hopefully get going in the next issue and next up batman and teenage mutant ninja turtles number three issue four and you know, I pretty much have nothing bad to say about <laughs> these issues, but I will say this one, probably out of the four issues of Batman team and team number three, kind of the weakest one so far. I'm not going to say it's bad, but um, kind of like not quite on the disappointing level is Batman number 76, where I feel nothing's happening. This one, I felt there could have been moments that were cool could have been expanded on and have uh, more time to deal with that really would have made it a cool issue because the coolest factor of this one for me is that you got Batman, the turtles, and now shredder all working together as a team to try to get the universe back to, back to normal shredders trying to wake up his members of the foot clan who were under Joker's control as the smile gang. And then you got Batman and the turtles trying to wake up uh, the different members of their respected families to join in the fight and get the world back to normal. This time, the Turtles are going after Casey Jones. He's kind of another uh, pivotal character that in order to wake up, to get, they need to wake up to get the universe back to normal. But the biggest one is, of course, um, the Joker, who's still the leader of the Smile Gang, which is you know who Shredder and Batman are going after. And Krang is giving Joker more weapons to try to combat Batman, Shredder, and the Turtles. And Krang ends up giving him a boon tube. And this is promising Joker all this power if he's able to stop Batman, the Turtles, and Shredder from getting the universe back to normal. So my biggest disappointment with this is, as cool as it is to see Batman and the Turtles and Shredder team up, is that we don't see a whole lot of it, as far as far especially on the action front. I think it would have been really cool to see Batman, Shredder, and the Turtles all working together to take on the Joker and his smile gang, because they end up having a battle in the police station to try to get Casey Jones's memory back because he is a police officer in Gotham and they eventually do get Casey's memory back and he joins in on the fight against the Samurai Joker here but I wanted to see Shredder play a more of a, a bigger role with their team up. And they eventually go into Ace Chemicals, that's where Joker is going to have a showdown with Shredder, but they don't really have a much of a fight. It looks like Joker Shredder is going to or Joker is going to attack Shredder, but Batman kind of steps in and they just have a little skirmish here, or Joker Shredder throws a bomb, which ends up blowing up the catwalk, and we get the classic visual look of the Joker about to fall in some chemicals while Batman tries to help, but um, we know what's going to happen. This version of the Joker is going to fall into the chemicals, and that's what's going to wake up his memory as the original Joker, which is what they intended to do, but it didn't have the effects that they were hoping. While Joker gets his memory back and probably... Shapes the world that more back to normal. Joker is still remembers everything that Crane told him and he wants that power. And <laughs> He just wants to cause that chaos still that he knows he can with the boom tube that Crane gave him. And he summons uh, these robotic parademons, it looks like, or just these robot creatures created by Crane. And now Joker's probably going to be more of a threat uh, just as normal Joker instead of the samurai shredder Joker as the leader of the Smile Gang. It's this classic Joker, but still very deadly with this power that he has now so and with the memories that he has as far as both being uh the normal joker and his time as the shredder joker so uh we'll see how the story continues here after this issue and how they deal with joker and krang and hopefully we get more of the batman shredder turtles team up dynamic because i really want to see more of that because it's just so cool to see <laughs> in this story so um kind of, like i said um not a bad issue but the weakest one so far out of the four that we got of batman team and team number three so i'm gonna give this one a three out of or three moments or outcomes that billy bean could have had on the world series if he made it to the big leagues out of five so three is the highest on this episode only three chances billy Bean got that's the highest unfortunately so maybe things will pick up on our next episode with some issues that hopefully have better scores but this is the highest one for this one
1: it's kind of a lot, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> considering some players don't even make it.
0: <laughs> you know, that's a very good point, Dan. You should be thankful for those three chances. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's it for this one. So I'll okay. throw it to you as always, Dan, for the outro. All right. Go to the Batman universe. Net,
1: Facebook.com slash Batman universe, Twitter handles at Batman universe. Uh, the show's Twitter handles at bat podcast. Uh, Tim's Twitter handles at Tim G three one one. And my Twitter handle is at Dan's Banana. Uh, rate, and, rate, and review us on iTunes, and you can email us at batfanswithoutpants at gmail So, like we said at the end of every single episode, this
0: we love each and every one of you with all of our Billy Beanie Mark. <laughs> see you guys next time. See you later, everybody.